Amen, amen. God is faithful. Great is his faithfulness to us. And this is the day he's made. We rejoice and we're glad in it. Welcome to Union Chapel this morning. We're so glad you're here. We know that you're sensing his presence and knowing his peace. So welcome. We're going to remain standing just for a moment to read our scripture. Today's text is found in the book of Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can grab that. We'll project the words on the screen. Our custom here is to stand to honor God's word. And so we can just remain that way. And we are in this very important series called Living on Purpose. Why on earth am I here? And it's really an important question. We've been learning that there are some basic, basic reasons why God has called us all to be here. The first and greatest purpose for our lives, your life, my life, all, all of our lives, is not to do something, but to receive God's love. The problem isn't that you don't love God. The problem is that you don't appreciate how much God loves you. Yeah, that's right. So it becomes the cornerstone. It becomes the bedrock of everything else that happens in our lives when we posture ourselves as beneficiaries of God's amazing love for us. Last week we learned we're not only called to be loved, but we are called to belong. That God created us so he could have a family. And God's family is called the church. We are called then to be in connection, in community with God and his people. It's our purpose. It's why we're here, so we can be part of God's family and to enjoy all the benefits of that. Today, we want to talk about becoming, and we'll read from our scripture here in just a moment that God has called us all. You have been called, I've been called to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, to become more like him. And so we pray that God will touch our lives today and help us embrace this important purpose. So Romans chapter 8, I'll begin reading at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, and that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now may God inspire us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Hey, when you were growing up, you know, seven, eight years old, how many of you wanted to be a policeman? Want to be a policeman? How about a fireman? about an astronaut? That was a big one back in my day. I wanted to be an astronaut. You're not playing along. How many of you wanted to be a nurse? A nurse? How many, fess up now, how many of you wanted to be Barbie? Come on. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- those are almost universally true. Most of us, of course, didn't become those things, but we have become the people that we are. And today I want to help us to focus on the kind of people God wants us to become. God wants us to become like him in nature and character, like Jesus. When we study the fruit of the Spirit, there's a list of those in Galatians, and it actually says that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and and self-control and faithfulness. These are the kinds of characteristics that God wants us to grow into. Now, To say that we are to be conformed to the image of Jesus doesn't mean we're going to be little gods or little mini-me gods, but it does mean that God wants us to become more godly. 
more, more like Jesus. And so in order to do that, there's some steps we can take, some disciplines we can embrace that will help us in this process that God has us in to conform us to the image of Jesus because he is really determined to help us to become more like him. Now on your outline, you'll see that there's a number of ways that we can engage this process with him. And so I, just to point you to that first, first idea, and it's simply this. You'll want to write this down if you can. Simplify, simplify my life. To become more like Jesus, we're going to have to simplify, to cut out, to clean out, to discard some of the clutter, some of the stuff that gets in our minds, some of our schedules, some of our relationships need to be adjusted, simplified, reduced. Uh, how many of you have ever seen a marathon runner carrying a backpack? Anyone? Like in the Olympic Games, you know, 26 plus miles, they're carrying a backpack. You've never seen that, have you? In fact, marathon runners carry as little as possible. I mean, their little jersey, little wispy shorts, the lightest shoes they can find. That's all they're wearing. They're always very lean in their own uh, physical body. They don't want to carry one more ounce than they have to because it's a long race and, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to take all the energy I have just to finish. I don't need to carry extra stuff. And that's the same way in this kind of experience that we are conformed to the image of Jesus. Life is in a 50-yard dash. It's a marathon. It's a long race. It's a long way to go. And in order for us to run this race well, it's good to offload some stuff. The distractions, the detours, the dead ends, the time wasters. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back. That word anything is a Greek word there. Uh, uh, oikos is the word. And it means anything that's a burden or bulky or weighty. And so we want to let go of some stuff. Simplify our lives. You know, one of the things that some of us are going to have to let go of besides our sin and mistakes and the baggage that we carry is the expectations that other people put on us. And I'm talking to a lot of people in the room right now because we feel the burden and the weight of those expectations. But as it turns out, God hasn't called you to live your life to please anyone but him. So God's not asking you to please your parents or your girlfriend or your teacher or your clique, or your club, or your fans, or your peers, or your partner, or your parishioners. None of that. God put me on this earth to live for the plan that he made for me, and not anyone else. And so to be free of the expectations of others is another important way to simplify and become more like Jesus. All right, here's the second thing. It's on your outline. Write this down. Don't get impatient or in a hurry. Don't get impatient or in a, in a hurry. Uh, our fifth grade granddaughter, Kayla, was recently in a race. It was all the fifth grade classes in her school, and they all took them out in the yard, and this was a one, they said, this is a one-mile race. Well, for Kayla, she had never run a race for a whole mile. That's a long race for a fifth grader, and so when the whistle blew, she took off, and she was way out ahead of everybody. Kayla then learned the importance of pacing yourself when you're in a long race. Okay, you'll learn what it feels like to have your lungs coming out of your nose, and you know, it's just it's not, it's not pleasant. And she ended up finishing, I think, sixth place or whatever, and I talked to her about that, and she said, Papa, I took off too fast. And I said, I know, in a long race, you have to pace yourself, and life is a long race. Everyone say long race. 
It's a long race, not a, not a sprint. And, and so you have to slow down. Someone said following Jesus is a long obedience in one direction. That's good, isn't it? A long obedience in one direction. I'm facing in one direction, and I'm slowly, steadily heading that way. You know, when you become a new Christian, you grow very fast spiritually. You're so excited. Everything's so new. Uh, you love to read the Bible. You love to pray. You love to hang out with other Christians. It's, it's that time of life when you're just exponentially growing. Uh, new babies grow really fast. You know, a, a, a human being will grow double in size in the first 12 months of their lives. How many of you are glad we don't double in size every year? It's, <laughs> that, that slowed down. Otherwise, the whole building's just for you. You'd be really big. <laughs> but over time, what happens is your growth slows down. And that's an important thing because it's a long race. And so you've got to take it steady and slowly and incrementally. Uh, when God wants to make a mushroom, he takes six hours. When he, make, when, he makes a, when he makes an oak tree, it takes 60 years. But the question is, what do you want to be? You want to be a mushroom? You want to be an oak tree? And the answer is, I want to be an oak. Because then when the winds blow and the storms rage, right? Now you've got some stability. Now you've got some strength. Now you're stout enough to manage it. And so it is with God's work in your life to make you strong and stable. You know, you actually spell maturity T-I-M-E. It takes a while. I could teach you how to be a man of God. I could train you how to be a woman of God. I could do that. I could help you with that. But listen, I can't do it fast. Because we don't develop into the image of Jesus very quickly. It takes a long time. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Let us run with patience the particular race God has set before us. So there, there's the admonition to go slow. All right, here's the third thing. It's on your outline. Spend time focusing on Jesus every day. Spend time focusing on Jesus. Now, you may say, well, this is just preacher talk now. But listen to me. Isn't it true that whatever or with whomever you spend time, you tend to become like that? Isn't that true? I mean, if you hang out with people who are, who are, are lacking in ambition, that it affects you and you become less ambitious or you're hanging out with people who are always critical, that'll tend to make you more critical. Whoever you spend your time with, that's the image that you tend to find yourself becoming. And so spending time with Jesus makes a whole lot of sense. It's just very practical. You know, the old cliche is you can't soar with eagles if you're running with the turkeys. So who you hang with really matters. Don't you, don't you know, don't be deceived about this, that bad company will corrupt you. And so hanging out with Jesus is a good thing. Some people call this a quiet time. Spending a few minutes every day with Jesus. I'm not saying sit down with Jesus for an hour or four hours, but spend some minutes with Jesus at least every day and get quiet. People say, well, God never speaks to me. One of the reasons that God never speaks to you, he's actually speaking to you, but you don't get quiet enough, long enough to hear him. How is it that God speaks to us? Very rarely, very rarely do you hear some audible voice and you, and you hear God. Mostly, God will speak to us in our own thoughts. And he's, he's made us the way we are, and he can download information into our minds anytime he wants to. When God drops a thought into our mind, that's called inspiration. You know, when the, when the devil drops a thought in your mind, that's called temptation. When you have a thought of your own, that's called stupidity. 
No, see, that, I was just kidding. I was just joking. That, please don't take that personally. <laughs> just having some fun. Listen to Hebrews 12 too. It says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus on whom our faith depends from start to finish. So the more time you spend with Jesus, the more like Jesus you will become. This isn't too hard, is it? It makes perfect sense. But you have to do it. Get quiet with God for a few minutes every day and listen to what he might have to say to you. So important. You know, there's, a, there's another part of this verse in Hebrews 12 that says to reflect his glory. That's an interesting turn of phrase, isn't it? Reflect his glory. Have you ever been around people who seem to be really close to God? You know, they're just like the God people. They have a knack for God. And when you're around them, you go, that person's, he's, he's different. She's unique. There are people like that in the room. That when other people are close to you, they, they feel God's presence. It's, it's a, a wonderful quality. There's actually a, uh, a biological basis for this in your, in your brain. And it's called uh, uh, mirror neurons. And these mirror neurons is what give us the capacity to empathize and sympathize with people. So that when we look into the face of another human being, we can actually feel what they're experiencing. Because of these mirror neurons that God has equipped us with. And more people who spend time with Jesus, you know, their mirror neurons start to imitate Jesus. And so they reflect his glory. It's interesting. So if you go to a movie and you're watching a scary movie in the theater and you feel fear go through your body, it's because your mirror neurons are starting to fire. If I, if I just pa paused and, and yawned right now, or just mentioning yawning, and your mirror neurons start to work, and you have this urge to yawn, or if you, if you see a couple kissing, you know, you're in the movie or, or you see a man and woman just kissing each other passionately, you start to feel that. You, f you, feel, you feel the warmth of that love and that affection, that tenderness. It's interesting. Mirror neurons, they, they work. It's, it's really cool. And last night, if you were up late like me watching the Cubs beat the evil Dodgers with a grand slam home run in the bottom of the eighth inning, you would have been happy in my house. Your mirror neurons would have went, I don't even like the Cubs, but I'm happy. For, there's, apparently, there's a party going on. <laughs> so when you spend time with God and you focus on him, your mirror, uh, mirror neurons will begin to reflect God's love and his qualities in your life. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, here's number four. Watch this. When it gets hard, remember the reward. When it gets hard, and it will get hard, remember there's a reward. Now, as I mentioned, our first and primary purpose is to be loved by God, to be the beneficiary of his love. The second purpose of our lives, all of us are called to belong to God's family. That's called the church, to connect. And we are also called to become like Jesus. Now, listen very closely. If God's going to make you like Jesus, then he's going to take you through everything that Jesus went through. Now, I'm this is a little harder to hear. Let me ask you this. Was Jesus ever lonely? Yes. Criticized? Mm -hmm. Betrayed? Worn out? Misunderstood? Misunderstood? Yeah, of course. So if God didn't spare his own son any of these things, why do you think he would spare these things from you? He won't. He won't. See, the next time you start to ask, 
why is this happening to me? Maybe it's better to ask the question, what, God, are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to teach me? What opportunity is there in these circumstances that can help me to become conformed to the image of Jesus? Most people misinterpret suffering and trial in life to think that God's upset or God's angry with me or somebody's against me rather than imagining that God is actually at work no matter your circumstances to help conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. Changing your attitude, deepening your character as a person, forming you into Christ's image. The Bible says that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Jesus did. The Bible says Jesus was made complete through suffering. This is hard, isn't it? Hard to hear. So you're going to learn the same way. So you shouldn't be surprised when problems come into your life. You shouldn't be surprised when suffering happens in your life because in this life, that's the nature of things. This is the hard time. This is the difficult path. Life on the earth is hard. Life is hard, then you die. But the good news is that God has promised to help us. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12. Jesus did not give up when he was running his race because he knew that he was going to face the cross. On the contrary, because of the joy that was waiting for him, he thought nothing of the disgrace of dying on the cross, and he's now seated at the right hand of God. So think of what he went through, how much he put up with, so much hatred from so many. So don't let yourselves become discouraged and give up. Listen to this great promise in 1 Peter 5.10. After you suffer for a short time, God, who gives all grace, will make everything right. How good a promise is that? He will make you strong. He will support you. He will keep you from falling. He called you to share in his glory in Christ, a glory that will continue forever. Love that. What a great promise. Remember, remember when you're going through a hard time, there's a reward out there. So stay the course. God is with you. In Romans 8, it says this, if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Don't you hate that? Don't you hate that? Huh? We, let's make an agreement today. We'll just cut that verse out of Romans 8. We'll, make, we'll just make, a, make an agreement that we will never refer to that verse in Romans 8 again. Let's just not talk about it. If we're going to share in his glory, we almost have to share in his suffering. But actually... No guts, no glory. Truth is, no pain, no gain. This is part of life. Don't be surprised. And when life gets hard, you need to remember that there's a reward out there. So hang in there and don't give up. Now let's move to number five. Gather a team. Want to become more like Jesus? Then gather a team to run with. At different stages of life, people need help, need strength, need encouragement, need support. It's called a small group. We all need face-to-face -face relationships with people who are on the journey together so that we can give each other the stuff we need when we need it. There's an old African proverb that says, to run fast, run by yourself. But to run far, run with other people. Makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Every one of you in this room, if I ask you this question today, do you, do you know anyone from your past that when you looked at their lives, Young men, young women, when you, when you looked at them, you thought to yourself, that guy, he's, he's going to really be successful in life. That girl, she's really going to go far. You know those people I'm thinking about? So much potential, so much promise in their lives. But today, years later, they're on the sidelines. In some cases, their lives are just wasting away. 
all of that giftedness, all of that promise, all of that potential wasted? How's that possible? Why does that happen? One of the primary reasons why that happens in people's lives is because they aren't running the race with a team. They don't have the kind of support they need because everybody stumbles. Everybody gets knocked off the track. Everybody fails. Everybody make mistakes. And so we need one another to say when we stumble and fall, get up, it's okay. You can make it. Get back on the, get back on the, on the course. Get back in the race. You can make it. You can run it. We all need that. We've got to have a team. Hebrews 10, 24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. So there's the admonition to, to encourage one another and to meet together face-to-face with one another. People just don't make it to the finish line sometimes because they run out of steam, they run out of gas, and they get afraid. They're afraid to fail and afraid of mistakes and afraid of, of uh, not measuring up to expectations. But when you belong to a group, a small group of people who believes in you, that loves you, you know that you are beloved by God and beloved by others and that you belong to people who care about you. All of that are building blocks for you to become a person who looks like Jesus. One builds upon another these important purposes. All right, here's number six. You want to write this down. Remember, God is cheering me at every stage. He's cheering me at every stage. Some of you have this mistaken idea that God only cheers you on when you reach some level of maturity, that you've had a good season. It's been positive. God goes, way to go. Or you finish, you cross the finish line, God goes, nicely done. But that's wrong. That's wrong-headed thinking. It's not true that God only cheers you on after you hit some particular good milestone. The fact is that God is cheering you on all the time. We don't, we don't have those unrealistic expectations of, um, of people in our lives. And God doesn't have it of you. God expects of you, from you, whatever level of maturity you happen to have at the time. For example, we don't expect a six-month-old baby to read. This Christmas, you have a six-year-old, a six-month-old baby in your house, right, in your family, and it's time to read this Christmas story. Some of you have this tradition around Christmas. You pull out Luke chapter 2, this traditional story of Jesus' birth, and so you hand the Bible, put it in front of a six-month-old baby. You say, okay, read the Christmas story, little Bubba. Come on. And little Bubba's, you know, tearing the pages and drooling all over the Bible. Someone says, what a dumb baby. That baby's dumb. (laughs) Dumb baby can't read. (laughs) No one's going to say that. That's silly, isn't it? I mean, it's just, it's goofy to say it that way. You don't expect a 10-year-old to be driving a car or balancing the checkbook. It's because everything's relative. When when my, uh, my, my twin grandchildren come up to me and they've drawn me another picture, it's, it's wonderful. This is the best thing I've ever... That is a beautiful picture. Noah, what is it? <laughs> Noah, so that's a horse. That is, the, that is the most spectacular horse I have ever seen in my life. That is a beautiful horse. Which end is the head? That, that is a great horse, Noah. But it's to have expectations that are consistent with his level of accomplishment. It's so important. So no matter what your circumstance in life, God says to you, look, you're okay with me. Christ died for you. I've included you in my family. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed to call you brothers and sisters. 
Even when we stumble, even when we fall, God is not ashamed. Um, and here's, here's, here's something that may shock you. Shock you, personally. You're not doing all that great. You're so far from perfect. I mean, it's, it's silly. Here's the problem. You think you're doing great. Some of you think you're just cracking it. But listen, God knows you're not. I know. I'm your pastor. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't know some of you very well. I know others of you much better. But I could name a bunch of problems that you have. I can see it. Your family knows you're not perfect. Your friends know you're not perfect. The only person who doesn't know you're not perfect is you. The best next step for you is to stop pretending that everything is okay because everything's not okay and become a little more vulnerable and a little more open in relationships so that you can get the kind of support that you need. So important that you do that. Let me ask you this question. When, when you have children and they're in a race, if it, no matter if, where you are and what stage of life, you can either remember or you will, you will experience when your own child is in a race. And as a parent, there you are watching your child run in a race. Now, have you got it pictured? Now, here's my question. At what point do you start cheering for your child? I'll tell you when a parent starts cheering for their child in a race. The second that the whistle blows or the gun goes off. In fact, you may be cheering for them before the race. You can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And then go, go, go. And you cheer, for your, you cheer for your kids through the whole race. What if your child, your child stumbles and falls on their face and embarrasses themselves in the middle of the race? What do you do? As a parent, I know, you know what you do. You go, come on, get up. You're okay. It's no problem. Get back on the track. You can do it. You got it. Go for it. And that's exactly what God does. See, a lot of us have this wrong notion that God's only supportive of us when we're doing things perfect. But nothing could be further from the truth. God is cheering you on. He's been cheering you on since your first breath. And it doesn't matter how many struggles, how many failures, how many times you've fallen on your face and shamed yourself. God's saying, get back up. Come on. You're in the family. You're part of my group. I'm for you. You've got what it takes. Now get back on the track and finish this thing. So you being God. See, I'm helping someone right now. Some of you may have been raised by parents and it didn't matter what you did. It was never good enough. But I'm here to tell you today, you listen to your pastor, that's not what God's like. Your parents may have hurt you and damaged you and, and, and underestimated you and your value, but God made you and he loves you and has included you in his family and sees all the potential he made you for and God is with you and cheering you on every step of the way. He's especially, he's especially encouraging you in the times when you're at the low point. He never stops cheering. And I hope that you'll hear that and never forget it. All right, here's number seven. Ready? Take every step with purpose. Take every step with purpose. Now, don't raise your hand, but let me ask you this. How many of you have ever wasted some of your life? Are you kidding? All of us have regrets about that, right? Dang, 
I wasted that. I wasted that period. I wasted that season. I wasted that time. Well, listen, today, beginning today, here's my challenge to you. Take every step with purpose. Every step. Because you don't know how long you're going to live, right? You don't know how many more days you have. Yeah, I, as, as a person my age, I realize I have a lot more behind me than I have in front of me in terms of time. And so, and so therefore, I don't know how many more times at the plate I have. You know, how many more swings of the ball do I get? I don't even know. And you don't either. So why not live every day purposefully, with intention, with definition? A few years ago, I shared with you in a message uh, a bucket list that I had professionally, uh, what I sensed God was asking me to do in ministry, a list of things, and, I, and also with my family, and then there were per, a personal list of a couple of things, and I shared that with you, and one of the things I had on my personal list is that I wanted to own a fast car one more time in my life, and I, I like things that perform, and, I, and I, I like machines that go fast, and I like to drive them, and so that's... That's fun for me. And so I went out and bought a, a relatively fast little car. And it was a little car. It didn't weigh very much. It had a, you know, was a big engine in it. And so it would go really fast. And I enjoyed that very much. And I've only told a handful of people about this. But Beth and I sold that car. And the reason we sold it is because I don't enjoy owning or driving it. The reason is because that we knew that we couldn't contribute to the REACH campaign, this capital campaign that we have going on right now at the church. We couldn't contribute to the campaign at the level we want to, God has called us to, and keep that car. So the car had to go. Something else you don't know, perhaps, is that this past May this year, Beth and I sold our home. And this is a home that we had planned and dreamed about for years. It's kind of like that dream house and we designed it and we had it built, custom home. It was beautiful. If you were ever at our home, you would say, this is a nice house. It was really nice. And we loved living there and we thank God that he allowed us to live there for a while. Really good. But we sold it. Now when people found out about that and asked us, why did you sell your house? Uh, the story that we agreed to tell was that, well, we're empty nesters and there's just the two of us and we don't need this big house and so we're downsizing. And that satisfies everyone's curiosity. But that's not the truth. We were just telling you that. That has nothing to do with it. If it was up to me, I'd still be in the house. Love that house. Love living in that house. Love everything about it. Well, you couldn't afford it? Yeah, I could afford it. I could still be there. So why'd you sell your house? I'll tell you why we sold the house. Because we don't want to run the marathon with a backpack. God is calling us up to the top of the hill and we need to offload some stuff right now in our lives in order to fulfill God's purpose for our lives. Now listen to me carefully. I want to be honest with you. That in life, if you follow Jesus, listen to me, there are things you're going to have to deny yourself. Can I get an amen? Well, not very enthusiastic, of course. If you're going to follow Jesus, listen you're not going to get to do everything that everybody else does. Because if you want to be God's person, you can't just go out and do what everybody else does. It doesn't work. You can't follow the world's plan. You can't follow even your own plan and follow God's plan at the same time. You can't do it. 
Five years ago, I lost over 50 pounds off of my, my physical body. And for these five years, I've kept all of those pounds off. Whatever few pounds I've added back, it's all muscle. <laughs> What's so funny? But here's what, here's what, anyone who trains to be a great athlete or a teacher or a scientist gives up an enormous amount of things to be a winner. That's what they do. Uh, they eat a certain way, they study, they practice, they associate with people who, who are inspiring within their field of endeavor. They go to bed at a certain time, they don't do certain other things. And so in life, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to deny yourself. You can't just tack on to your life, God's purpose with what you want to do. There, there, has to, there has to be some sense that I am taking each step of my life with purpose. I am a follower of Jesus. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. That's what a disciple is. Jesus is Lord. I'm not in charge. I'm not in control. I'm not the boss. Jesus is Lord. And I have this kingdom perspective. When I look at the world, I, look, I try to see it through the eyes of Jesus. So what are the needs? What are the opportunities? What, what is the percolation of the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God in the purview of my world? And how can I see that more clearly? And, and a follower of Jesus is someone who not only sees the world through kingdom eyes, but also personally engages in the mission of God. So that my life and the stewardship of all the resources and gifts and capacities that God has placed within me is employed in order to be on mission for Jesus. Because when it's all said and done, it doesn't really matter what else we do. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so you take every step on purpose. That's how you get to the finish line. That's how you do it in a purposeful way. 1 Corinthians 9 says, all athletes practice self-discipline. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I'm not like a boxer who misses his punches. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, look, I don't do any more shadow boxing. If I'm going to throw a punch from now on in my life, I'm going to make sure I hit something in a purposeful way. It's good preaching. This is good preaching. This is good. I'm encouraging myself. Well, here's the last point, number eight. Write this down. God will finish his work in me. God will finish it. What I don't get finished in my life, God will finish. Philippians 1, 6, I'm sure that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus comes again. So that's the promise, friends. You can, you can take all the steps necessary to become conformed to the image of Jesus, but here's a fact. By the time you get to the last beat of your heart, you still won't be there. But whatever has begun in you to be conformed to the image of Christ, God will complete. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Isn't that encouraging? So one of these days, here's what's going to happen. The Bible says that you will stand before Jesus face to face. Right now, Jesus is invisible. We believe in Jesus by faith. But someday we're going to see him. We're going to stand right in front of him and eyeball to eyeball with Jesus. And your mirror neurons are going to be firing. And you'll not only see Jesus, but you're going to become like him. And that's a great promise. 
That means that all your weaknesses, gone. Your limps, gone. Fear and faults, failures and frailties, insecurities, blemishes and flaws, all gone. Praise God. All of that's gone because we'll be shaped into his image. 1 John 3, dear friends, we are already God's children and we can't even imagine what we will be like when Christ returns. But we do know that when he comes, we will be like him for we shall see him as he really is. We are called to be loved. We are called to belong. And we are called to become. So posture your life, friends, in such a way to fulfill the purpose of God in your life. Amen? All right, let's pause and pray for about these things. Now I want to pray for us this morning just for a minute. And I'm going to say the words, but you believe them in your heart, okay? You, you hear these words and, and just believe them in your, in your, and pray them in your own mind, your own heart. So say these words quietly within yourself. Dear God, for the first time today, I've realized that you are cheering me at every stage in the race. When I stumble, you don't condemn me. You cheer me more. That you believe in me. I want to take every step with purpose. I don't want to waste one day of the rest of my life. I've done too much of that. I want to accept this third purpose of my life. My calling to become like Jesus. And I'm willing to take these steps. So I want to strip off all the stuff that doesn't matter in life, the stuff that slows me down, holds me back, especially the sins that trip me up. And I want to simplify my life and focus on the particular race that you've given me. And I'm so grateful that you're patient with me. Help me not to get in a hurry. I want to be an oak tree, not a mushroom. I want to spend time with you so I can become like you. I want to find a special place to spend a few minutes every day focusing on Jesus so that I can be a mirror that reflects your love to others. And Lord, when it gets hard, when I'm winded, and I feel like giving up, help me to remember the reward. Help me to remember Jesus, all that you went through, and you never gave up. Thank you. Make me strong. Give me support. Keep me from falling as you promised. Help me to find a team to run with through this next stage of my life. I want to get in a small group. I want to build a safe place for others. I want to spur others on. I want to spur myself on. Most of all, Lord, I thank you that, I, that what I don't finish, you will. And one day all these things that I dislike about myself are going to be removed from my life. Thank you. Thank you that I don't have to stay the same. Thank you that you give me the power to change. Jesus Christ, I give you as much as I know how every part of my life. Now, friends, one more thing, one more thing. Let me pray for you. You say the words in your heart. Jesus Christ, come into my life and make yourself real to me. Or say, Jesus, today I rededicate my life to you. I thank you that you will finish whatever I don't complete. In your name I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. All right, would you stand with us now as we sing?